Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 162 of Press Pascal Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. And the last time I spoke to you, you were getting ready for the Ohio State spring game. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask, how did your first ever spring game call in the booth go? Tell me a little bit about it. No, it was great. Um, First off, it was great to be back on campus. Yeah. You got to see a lot of familiar faces, which was really good. And uh, the coaches meetings are probably like the biggest part of that. Yeah. Is sitting down and talking with those guys and really getting some honest evaluation of their roster and how things are coming along and what they're projecting for the fall. Like that was all really good. And then the game itself was, you know, it's, it's a spring game. So there's only so much going on, but it was, it was really good. It was a lot of fun. It was good for me to get experience up there. Um, Great to be able to highlight some of the players that typically don't get a ton of love during the fall. Sure. Uh, you know, whether it's limited opportunities, whether it's playing time. Um, and then the the thing that I thought was really well done by everybody involved, and that's coming down from Gene Smith and um, the folks who uh, create the video content for the video board at Ohio State, all the way down to the way that Big Ten Network covered it, and I'm very proud of it, was the uh, Dwayne Haskins Memorial. Um, yeah. I thought the moment was well done. I thought it was very tasteful and respectful. And I thought that I thought that Big Ten Network, my company, captured it extremely well, um, really let it breathe, gave it the respect it needed, got some great player reactions. Um, we even caught their prayer circle after that before they headed yeah. into the locker room, which I thought was neat. So it was fun. Yeah, no, I saw I saw a lot of that on social media. I think I retweeted a couple portions from that uh, really beautiful tribute to Dwayne Haskins. And uh, it just seemed like it, it, it was a very different spring game just because you you knew you were going to have that as well. So there are a lot of emotions that that get um, brought into something like that because there were former players there as well um for that spring game like there always are but a lot of his former teammates um so which is always i feel like emotional situation (laughs) yes and um you know we got to talk to chris olave um and he got to share some personal memories and talk to cj stroud who you know obviously they didn't play together but they knew each other yeah which was great um but just on the the former player aspect of it they recognized the former players that were in attendance yeah. uh, on the field and it spanned from sideline to sideline. Wow. Are you kidding? So was that maybe one of the bigger showings that you had from former there players? There were a lot of guys. I think part of wow. it is like how often have guys gotten to get back on campus since the pandemic? That's very true. You know, it's a great family day. Um, yeah. The program does a really good job too of hosting a uh, cookout after the game for the former players to take their families to. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a day, it's an event, but yeah, I think people are just excited to get back. I think so too. So before we move on, I do have to ask you, what do you feel like was the most challenging part of doing a call in the booth for the first time when it has to do with 
not even a game necessarily. This is more something where you're really having to learn the roster. Yeah, I mean, prep is key. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and spring rosters are so fluid. And, um, you know, there are guys playing that you typically wouldn't really have to know during the fall. And so that was difficult. I think getting in a rhythm during a spring game, because it's like, it's it's a game, but it's almost like a studio show at the same time, because it's so mm-hmm. topical. And there's so many storylines that don't really have to do with what's actually happening, developing on the field. Um, so, and then replays and, and using the telestrator, oh, you know, boy. you got a producer in your ear. Um, hey, replays coming. Yep. Look at the ISO cam. Say, okay, we're going to freeze this. We want you to telestrate, you know, highlight number whoever at the bottom of the screen or they're on the right side of the screen. So you got to locate them. You got to talk over it. You got to draw whatever goes in there. Um, and then they let it play. You got to make sure you clear the thing before they can play it or else they yell at you. Um, and then, and, and this is where working in studio definitely correlates is you're familiar with the little IFB. Ooh, um, and I for am. the folks who don't know what that is, it's the oh. little earpiece that you see folks on TV wear. So yep. producer can communicate. Yep. And um, you don't respond <laughs> to what they say because it goes over the air. Exactly. And, um, you know, the producer's talking to you like pretty good during a game, more than I thought. Oh my and goodness. you just, you, they have a camera in there so they can see and you just nod your head and thumbs up or whatever the case is and you keep going. Um, <laughs> but it's so difficult to like fight the urge not to actually respond to them. Yeah, no, that's so true. I've had an instant like um, situ- situation, I should say, with IFB because we can't really talk back to them either unless we're in a break. And then obviously we can we can talk back to them. But a lot of times when you're on live location and maybe you've dealt with this, there'll be a producer and something will happen like while you're in the show and yep. they'll have to change something or they'll have to say, add something. And they're yep. talking to you and, and you're, you're saying trying it at to the same say, time. yes. And it is one of the most, I think it honestly is one of the most difficult part of our jobs when it comes to um, having to talk and yep. do your presentation with somebody else in your ear. Yep. And we had, we have a talk back button on the game broadcast. Yeah. And I rarely used it, but like, since the uh, microphones are so isolated, it doesn't really pick up anything else um, on the headset. So you can talk back to the producer and communicate, which makes it easier. But in studio, it's crazy. And I've experienced that more now than I did in the past. Like typically we'd be getting time cues or they'll, you know, they'll feed you whatever the next topic is just so everybody is on the same page. But um, doing the rally every once in a while, like we'll have to scrap a tease because oh, yeah. something's going haywire. And yep. they're feeding you the teas yeah. as you're saying it. And like, I don't know how my brain works like that. It is bizarre. I don't think our brains necessarily are supposed to work like that. But because we chose this uh, business of I don't even know why, because it just is crazy. Uh, I guess we just are formulated to do it. <laughs> no, we are. Like, you know? I, I think, and if, if you're not naturally, you will absolutely learn. Cause it, yes, you have you to. You don't have to. Yeah, you yeah. do. You don't have a choice. Well, it sounds like the spring game went awesome. Hopefully you'll get uh, some more opportunities in the future because I think that's always fun to just mix in something different. I think one yes. of the best parts of doing broadcast work is 
the different type of work you can do. I get bored doing the same thing. Like I actually like to mix it up. I like to do sideline and then mix it up with some studio hosting and then mix it up with something live in the field. I think that's where you enjoy it the most, where you probably grow to as a broadcaster. So adding something like that to your plate, I think is really cool. No, I'm totally with you. Like it, uh, it gets everything going right. So this week, Joshua, we have had some news come out. It's not like breaking news or anything. It's just more informational news, I should say. And and yes, it does have to do with the transfer portal, which seems to be a topic of conversation Mm -hmm. uh, ever since it became a thing because it's only getting more crowded in the portal. So uh, to provide a little more transparency with the transfer portal, the NCAA actually released statistics um, for the years of 2020 and 2021. And the statistics show, Joshua, that only 54% of FBS players who actually enter the portal enrolled at a new school. Are mm. you at all shocked by those numbers? Well, no. And I'd, I'd be curious because I know some guys get in the portal and then they end up staying at their school that they originally, but it's the small portion of that. Um, that's always been one of the perils. It's one of the things that people warn about is if you enter the portal, there are numerous things that can happen is you can transfer land at another FBS destination, mm-hmm. whether that is a lateral move, whether you take a step down or for some guys it's taking a step up that kind of outperformed what they were projected in high school. Um, and that's the best case scenario is that you land somewhere else. Um, you could also take a step down to FCS, which you see guys do. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, that's not, a terrible place to be, um, but probably certainly not how a lot of guys envisioned it. Then there are guys in, in you know, you, you go from FBS to division two, and that's a whole can of worms. Like you're still playing ball. You're still going to school, but now you're probably taking out student loans, trying to figure out the deficit because the scholarship situation is not the same. And then the worst case scenario is you're sitting on your ass at home. Um, and nobody wants to do that, but that is a harsh reality of where we're at with the portal. Um, And now I want to get your opinion Mm -hmm. because I have mine. I'll share mine afterward. But are there guardrails that need to be put around the transfer portal? And and we'll touch on the NIL conversation here in a sec, I'm sure. But do you think that there needs to be something done about the transfer portal to protect the the athletes? Yeah, actually what I think should be done is pretty much – have the athletes before they decide to transfer. I think it should be mandatory that the athlete goes through a process of meetings with an academic slash athletic type of mentor. Okay. Um, Somebody who is trained or has, you know, and this is a new, even maybe position that could be created around campuses where they are pretty much an advisor for the transfer portal in a way and going through a series of meetings that you have to go through as an athlete before you transfer just to make sure they have all the information that they should have that they discuss it with somebody who has knowledge who has maybe extra resources and then you know after they go through that process maybe there's some of them that decide that's not best for me at this time so and if when they you, decide to do it, then then they can go ahead and do it. But I think they should have to go through some sort of a process. 
Now, when you talk about these meetings, um, you know, are we talking information like the statistic that you just shared? I, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, go ahead. No, I'm talking, I'm talking numbers. I'm talking just almost like having somebody to bounce your frustrations, frustrations and thoughts off of. Um, I'm talking somebody who could say, okay, this is, um, the pros and cons. And I know you're like, oh, well that person can do that on their own. These, these young men are, are just that young men. And a lot of the decisions are being made sporadically. Like Mm -hmm. if that's the right word, I don't know if that's the right word. Um, on a whim. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, um, yes, it's rough. And I can say that because I am not going to reveal names, but I know of a player at a very big program who was frustrated because he just didn't feel like he was given the opportunity with the new coaching staff that came in. And he decided on a whim, like that's what he was going to do. He was going to transfer. Now, was it the right decision? I mean, we'll see. But I think that he would have benefited at least through taking some time to think about the decision, to talk it out with somebody, to be given some numbers, and then make that decision. You know, I, I definitely agree with that. I think the other thing that they could probably figure out, too, is like you talked about the numbers. Like, okay, yeah. this is the amount of movement that's going on. Sure. And so – you know, let's take a look at some of the programs that you might be interested in going to. Well, they have this many commits for this class and they only have this many scholarships available and they already have X amount of your position on the roster. Like that's important information for young people to get to, because then what happens is when you get in the transfer portal, you know, presumably for majority of these guys, you're not the hottest commodity out there or else you probably would have been at the the school that you were coming from anyway. You wouldn't have transferred. Right. And so to understand like, okay, this is actually your, your market in, you know, as a transfer, like you, you're probably not going to be in a place that you love either. So, you know, it's, it stinks where you might spend four years somewhere that you, you really don't care for, but like the grass ain't always greener. Um, And I love, for players to have this mobility. And especially when I see guys that are um, three-year players, you know, two or three-year players at a school, and they really haven't been on the field that much. When those guys transfer, I'm all for it. Yeah. Because they want to play. Like, they're probably going to end up taking a step back so they can go somewhere and they can at least play their last year or two on the football field because football is not a sport that you can sign up for a rec league for. You can do that with baseball. You can do it with basketball. You do it with a lot of other sports. This is not one that you have a shelf life once college expires for most athletes. Um, right. But you see guys who, you know, they, they're they there year one. Um, they think their coaches mean they didn't play as much as they thought they should have as a freshman. They dip. It's like, dude, this is a little bit of a tough spot to be in. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was an emotional 20-something um, at one point and sure. you just, you have to really press pause and think for the long range, which is difficult to do. No, I, and here's an example. So I don't know if you ever watched, it was a Netflix, um, series on last chance you it, mm-hmm. multiple seasons. There was a few seasons and I don't know, I can't remember where this one was at, but there was a guidance counselor 
and she was phenomenal. And I can't remember her name. She be, she became very yeah, she well was, known. She was Miss badass. something or other from uh, I, yeah. I know exactly Loved what you're her. talking about. Actually related to her. Like I could see myself in another lifetime doing that type of a job because I care well, so much about the student athlete. Um, you got you got time to do something like that. Yeah, I know. I'm before I Miss Brittany. But before I hit ninety, um, but no, yeah, Miss Brittany. That's right. And she, I just think like I when I think about this kind of a position, perhaps in the future, kind of integrating this into the college, you know, the bigger colleges because this is obviously they all have probably something like this, but at schools like that, they they have to have them because they're trying to move these guys on to bigger and better things in life. Right. right. So they play a much integral part in their lives. And so I feel like somebody like that, like would be so great because she has respect for the athlete, but they actually, you know, m- most of those guys that were on those seasons, they had a lot of respect for her. And these are like the most difficult to difficult guys, right? They've gone through a lot in their lives. Like they're not from easy, easy, like upbringings at all. Right. Um, and I felt like they, they would listen at least going through those types of like meetings before they make a huge de- decision like that. So, I mean, again, it could be something Joshua where we just, it, it kind of naturally grows into being something that's not going to be as big moving forward. If the, if they continue to see that it's not working for athletes, like it, they're just going to the portal and they're sitting there, then maybe that's just a more natural thing where it becomes not as used. And that's what I think is going to happen. I do too. And I, I, I think the same thing when it comes to name, image and likeness, I think that I do too. Um, some of this is now some of these folks are are just rabid crazy nutcases yeah but i think that like the faucet's going to shut off at some point because yeah brands are going to realize that they're not getting their money's worth and then people are going to stop donating to these collectives which is a conversation that we should dive into at some point um because they're going to end up paying too much money to the wrong guys who aren't producing and they're going to be pissed off that they wasted their hard-earned dollars on some kids and this is it's i'm saying it in a very crass way but like you know recruiting is a very inexact science the kids who are the sure bets don't pan out and the ones that nobody was really paying attention to (laughs) chris olave end up becoming you know some of the best so like i mean there this is gambling it's literally gambling it is and it's just like anything in life the new hottest thing comes out you know and everybody is just on it. Everyone wants to try it out. Everyone wants to give money away. You know, it, it's it's kind of like that right now where mm-hmm. everybody's just trying it out. They want to get their product name out there and they're just like giving money left and right. I think it like everything does. It all kind of settles down a bit. So I think we won't be talking about this in a few years at this rate, at least. Yeah, I think it's going to slow down for sure. So the 2022 draft is coming up this weekend in Las Vegas. It should be really cool. I don't know how the setup is yet. I have heard that they're going to set it up by the fountains. So mm. I'm not quite sure if they're going to have like a like a floating stage in a way that like the guys will walk out on a bridge or something. I'm just visualizing this in my own head. Because Vegas is, you know, very bright lights and everything. So it'll really be a great stage for the NFL draft. And um, 
all these young men who will have their lives changed literally in a single night. So speaking of that, we have, um, we did a draft prospect countdown a couple of weeks ago and we've been doing them for our station as well. We've got a draft special coming up on Thursday. And so I've really been diving into some of these prospects and there's always those great stories that come out of the draft. I think that's one of my favorite parts too. You learn so much about these players, X's and O's. Yes. But then you learn some really good stories um, just about how they've kind of overcome things or their path to getting to this position. Um, what's your favorite part about the draft, Joshua? The outfits, the fashion. Well, yeah, and actually remem- remind me that we need to have our tops like we did yep. uh, last year. We did that last year. That, that was, was great. so fun. And we pretty much measured up for the most part. Yep, yep. Yeah. But that was some, I think that was some of our best work. If, if I think I so, too. I do say too. so myself. I do, too. Um, yeah, the fashion. I love it. He's just like the fashion. I completely like forgot because everything has been a a little bit not normal, I guess, in the last couple of years. Now, last year it was more normal than it was obviously with no uh, like in-person draft with the pandemic. So we didn't really get to see that because they're all in their living rooms and their sweats. Now, some of the guys actually, you know, dressed up. I mean, last year we got to see like a – you know, Jamar Chase, uh, Devontae yes. Smith, both of those guys dressed out pretty well. Yeah, um, we also got to see um, Mac Jones looking like an accountant oh, or uh, just, a financial advisor. I just, you know, so like oh. you get the full span of fashions. You really do. And this, I think this year it's going to be heightened because it's in Las Vegas, A. Eh? You just have to like dress the part oh, yeah right oh, i'd be going crazy in terms of the fashion if i was out there like well, no. like you, you can wear whatever you want that's what i'm saying i am all about if i had enough money to take fashion risks you bet your bottom dollar this girl would be taking fashion risks because i take them I don't even yeah have like i mean if i got somebody styling me up whatever you want to put on me i'll wear it like and it will look good you know so mm-hmm. that's what i'm saying these, I hope these guys take some fashion risks because I'm all about it. And then we'll rank Me them. too. We'll see what they do. Um, okay, so we're going to bring a player to the table. Do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah. Okay, and I know you know who this is because he's a Big Ten guy. Um, and the Titans need – now, I'm not, gonna, I'm not actually talking about the Ohio State tight end. This is another tight end. Um, the Titans need a tight end, okay? There's no doubt about it. They they did get Austin Hooper in free agency, but they don't have much else. Um, and so I think they try to get a guy that they can bring in and have for a few years to come. And so I'm looking at Maryland tight end, Chigo hmm, David Okonkwa. O- David, yes. Yeah. Okonkwa, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. And I just, first of all, think this guy is the most unique tight end, whatever he's, he's played every position. It seems like on offense at some point. And have you heard him speak like in front of people? No, he's fabulous. He's like, he is so good. Um, We have a ton of stuff from the draft that my boss went to with our photographer and they got like every prospect that the Titans were interested in. And he was one of them. And he is so eloquent and like ev- he has a big smile on his face. You, he's one of those guys you just want to listen to. That's really rare to say at that age with 
a lot of these younger guys, they're just still kind of getting like comfortable with the media. And this guy's phenomenal. You'll have to look up some interviews with him. He's really I, I will. It's a shame. Uh, I should have had him on my daggone interview list. I know. I think he would have been really, really good. And he's one of those guys, he just calls himself, you know, a very unique player. And I wanted to get a little bit of insight from you to see if you had seen anything from the Big Ten season out of him and what maybe to expect from him at the pro level. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Chig was a, a really good player for Maryland. And like you said, they use him. Um, in all different places on the field. And he's like, he's a really unique tight end prospect to me um, because he's truly like a, a tweener. Like yeah. he's six, two and a half. He's 238. So like, he's definitely a little too big, heavy to be a wide receiver. He ran a four five. He's got a, a 35 vertical. Like the dude is really athletic for as big as he is. Sure. Um, and you saw that, like he had speed to break away in the open field on some catch and runs. Um, he obviously had the size to match up and body up, um, you know, the smaller brand of linebacker that's playing right now in safeties. I, I was a big fan and I think he was on display in the right ways too in Maryland's offense. And that's big for tight ends. Like the yeah. way offenses run nowadays, like it's hard to, uh, to showcase a tight end, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But this guy yeah. was always on display. I, I was a, a big fan of what he did. And then he's a dude too, who's like pretty physically rocked up. Um, so, you know, he's, he's physical in yeah. the run game, um, maybe a little bit stiff, but that's totally fine. Like he's a guy who literally will grab somebody, walk them off the line of scrimmage, See, and then you can throw it out to him in the flats and he's going to be pretty uh, effective there. I think, you know, he, he said he models some of his game off, off of John New Smith, former Titans tight end, who is now in new England where they didn't utilize him at all this last season. I am a huge fan of John U. Smith. He's one of my favorite players that I covered with the Titans. Um, and I can see a lot of that, like the physicality part, but yet being able to get out and, you know, catch the ball. Like you can be physical, but you can also be utilizing the offense the right way. And I just think the Titans could, I think he'd fit with the Titans for a lot of reasons. And also just with the, the culture of the Titans, just he seems like a really great dude, a really good team dude. Um, and Mike Rabel made it clear this past week when we talked to them for the pre-draft uh, press conference, like the Titans are only looking for guys that are going to fit this team. Like they, that's the one thing with the Titans. Like, yeah, you got to be, obviously you, you got to be good, but they, you ha also have to fit the culture. Oh, Rabel has standards. Yeah, what, if, a, what a surprise. Seriously, I mean, it, Joshua, it's crazy. Like I can now go through interviews and say, nope, not a Titan. Yep, yep he's a Titan. That's yep. really, that's how it is now. Like, you really know exactly the player they're looking for. Well, I think you got to be the right type of player, too, for um, Vrabel. And this is not a knock on him. Um, he's an acquired taste. But I think he's like that because he's been, for example, spent yeah. a ton of time in New England where standards are high and there's not a lot of wiggle room for foolishness and different yeah. types of craziness. Like, they operate a certain way. Um, yep. And he spent some time at Ohio State as a coach and very similar thing, like, you know, his time uh, with Luke Fickle for a year and Luke's a very high standard guy. And then he spent two years with Urban as a head coach. And we all know how Urban is like yep. Vrabel comes from a coaching tree where you 
your personality has to be a certain way for you to be successful. Yeah. And he's very self-aware about that. And I absolutely love it too, because I, I think that the sport is very divergent now, and this mm-hmm. is for college as well, where it's either you're a hardline coach with standards or you're 100% a player's coach. And there's no in between. No. Um, so you got to find the guys that can respond to you being more of the authoritarian type of sure. coach rather than the guy who's just going to let whatever slide. Yeah. No, absolutely. So Chig is one of the guys that I, you know, had done some research on. I don't know exactly where he's going to land. I mean, do you have an idea? Probably. He's a day three guy. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's tough because I think he's a better player than that. Yeah. I think there are going to be some hangups on um, his movement skill laterally where he's a little bit stiffer. And then the fact that he's not like a prototypical tight end size. Yeah. Um, but he's going to be a very valuable player for somebody. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. So what you got? Who you got? Um, David Bell from Purdue is the guy I want to highlight today. Okay. Um, I am probably too big of a fan of this guy. Um, if I'm being completely honest, (laughs) like he's, he's one, I've fallen in love with him. I watched him tear up the big 10. He seemed like he was an automatic hundred receiving yards a week. Dude was a first-team All-American. He was a Big Ten wide receiver of the year. Yeah. We're talking about a Big Ten with guys like Jahan Dotson and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Like, yeah. this is not an easy conference to have been the best wide receiver in. A lot of them. A lot of them. He's 6'1", 210-ish. Um, this, is where, this is where it gets a little bit iffy for people is his 40-yard dash was yes. – about four six five, so it's very average. Yes. His short shuttle was below average for a wideout. His okay. three cone drill wasn't outstanding. Okay. Um, he's not explosive. He's not twitchy. He's not great change of direction. He's a great football player. All he does is go out and make football plays. Yeah. And so if you're somebody who gets caught up on the numbers, then you're probably going to pass on yep. a prospect sure. that I truly believe is a late second, early third rounder. Um, the way some of these NFL jokers behave and operate in, in, they can't evaluate talent. Oh no. They'll probably, he'll probably slide into the fourth or fifth round, which I think would be way too low. Now, this is a deep wide receiver class and I am not going to make any, any, I'm not going to try to explain it any other way, but this guy is better than some of the experts want to give him credit for me personally. If he was there at the end of the second round, I was looking for a wide receiver, I'd take him. Well, you also watched a lot of Big Ten and have watched a lot of Big Ten football, yeah. where half of these draft analysts don't watch a lot of Big Ten football, or if they do, they're getting bits and pieces, and they're sure not looking at David Bell when they're watching it. No, they're, they're not watching the right things. They're, uh, they're looking at... Like I don't even know how they, they break down tape. I don't know how they do the game studies. I can tell you that I watched every Big Ten team on offense and defense at least three times a week. Jeez. So I would watch them on game day. Yeah. I would do a study when I got back to Columbus, usually on a Monday or Tuesday, of yep. every game, every team. And then I would do another study on Thursday so I could prepare for the upcoming weekend. So I'm familiar with these guys. Yep. I know what they do well. I know what they struggle with. David Bell, 
not a burner. He's not going to burn you, but he's got enough speed to at least threaten you. He's got not a huge body, but a big enough body that he can navigate on the mm-hmm. second level toward the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. He's got fine ball skills. He's not winning every 50-50 ball, but he's going to come down with enough. And he's sure-handed. He's going to catch the ball he when it's thrown to him. Yeah. So for all these people who want to look for everything to knock him on, he's not going to be your number one. But no. he's going to be a number two receiver in the NFL for a long, long time. Well, this will be fun to see where he ends up, you know, and how far, if he does drop that far, how far he goes, and maybe the gem that somebody gets, that some team gets. They get so, a gem. I'm I'm happy you brought that to the table. See, this is I like this because I I feel like because you've watched so much of the Big Ten and you've broke down film, like you can give us this stuff where other people are not going to be able to give us these type of guys. Like they'll be able to give us the the main hits from the main guys that we always hear about. But I want to hear about some of these guys that could be the guys that we're talking about four years from now and saying, oh, he was a gem back in that 2022 draft. Like, that's what I want to see. And guess what? It happens all the freaking time. Yep. And this is okay. one of those guys that, that could exactly be that. Like, I'm going to leave it alone. I'm, I'm so fired up because I just feel like he's not getting the respect he deserves. Well, we're giving them respect on this podcast. And we, yes. maybe I'll tag him on it just to give him a little, you know. I mean little shout out from our guy Joshua saying, I, I've, I've watched your film. I, I recognize you. All the dude does is produce. Just flip on the game tape, watch him catch the ball. Like, I, I'll put it, this is this is the biggest piece of context right here, is Purdue played Notre Dame. Yep. In my opinion, if David Bell did not get hurt in that game, yep. they might have been able to pull off the upset over Notre Dame. Yeah. I think that his injury was a big game changer in the fact that they could not get back into that game the way they thought they could. Yep. So that should tell you everything you need to know. He was that important, and it showed up every single week. Yep. When you can call somebody like that a potential game changer, like he's that valuable, there's definitely a lot of goods with that. So that'll be cool to watch. I will keep that mind or that name in mind for whenever he goes. That'll be fun to watch. Here, here, I I, promise you last thing. So, end of the third quarter, the score was 17-13 to 13 Purdue. Purdue did not score a single point in the fourth quarter. Oh, wow. That's what I'm telling. Like, he was that important yeah. to the game. Yeah, I actually, I'm thinking about that game now. I do remember. Mm. Were you, were wow. you, a, so you were, obviously, you had that, you were in the studio when you were doing the breakdowns of all that stuff, those games? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, we talked about all that stuff. Like, he was... He was the key. Like he got hurt fourth quarter of that game. Purdue's not scoring any more Purdue's points. Not that's not a yep. That's not a coincidence. Nope. And like you said, they could have had a chance probably. <laughs> they did. They were they, they were right did. there. Yeah. The train was rolling and then it got derailed. Oh boilermakers. <laughs> oh boilermakers. Okay, one more thing before we go, because I gotta ask, and I know we've brought his name up a couple times on the podcast, but you obviously have seen a lot of Chris Olave. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about he, he was one of those guys that not a lot of people talked about and then kind of uh, shined at Ohio State. Everything that you read about him, it's all like, oh, my gosh, this guy is the best route runner. He can pretty much run his own, like, route running company because <laughs> he's, he's so spectacular at it. Um, 
you know, what, what do you think in terms of Olave bringing to the table? Like where, where do you feel like he's going to go in the draft? I, I, I feel like, I feel like maybe he's, he's not, he couldn't slip down to 26 where the Titans are. Cause I know that's he, a guy they're looking at. Yeah. He might be wide receiver three. I know. In this draft I, yeah, for me. I'm thinking he's, so too. Uh, it's Garrett Wilson, probably Drake London, which I'm still a little iffy on well, him because well, not a lot of people know about him either. I know. Yeah, playing on the West Coast. <laughs> he's from the Pac-12. I know, but I, I think he's he's got a little stiffness that might inhibit him in the league. But he he has size that you can't teach. We all know. And then Chris right. Olave is is my third wide receiver in this class. Yeah. And Chris's deal is he's fast as hell, but yeah. he's smooth, and mm. his routes aren't necessarily the cleanest. But he understands leverage, and yeah. that's how he gets open. And he catches just about everything that's thrown to him. He's effective on the second and third levels, especially. You can use him in the short game, uh, yeah. certainly, but I, I don't think that's his best use. Instant impact, like right away, come in, change the game. I, he, I'm a huge fan of what he was able to do. Now, going back to his rise, this was a kid who did not play football his junior year because he transferred in high school. So mm-hmm. his senior year was when he really kind of like opened up some eyes, but he was still a three-star guy. Ryan Day found him when he went on a recruiting trip out to California to see Jack Tuttle, who yeah. ended up playing quarterback at Indiana. Yeah. And he saw Chris like in the gym and was like, oh, who the hell is this kid? Um, and so he found a wow. gem. Chris Olave, I believe this was his freshman year. Against Michigan, that was his coming out party. Yep, the, I he that. tore them up, and then it was yep. game over from there. Yep, he's a San Diego kid, right? He's a San yep. Diego kid, yeah. And so, like, sure, every prospect's got some limitations. Like, do you wish that he had a little bit of a bigger frame? Maybe. Sure. Um, you know, do you do you wish that he was a little bit tighter, just in terms of like he's so smooth that sometimes it's a little bit like, you know. It, it needs to tighten up on the routes yeah. and everything. You can teach that. Big fan of his. Wide receiver three for me. Could be gone. Should be gone in the top 15 of this draft. Okay. Then my final question. And this is just a selfish situation here because I just want to know your opinion. So there's been so much talk here in Nashville about uh, the wide receiver market in the NFL, specifically because of A.J. Brown and the situation that uh, we're in right now here covering mm. AJ Brown, he is clearly looking for a new contract, but because the wide receiver market is just unreal right now, he's supposedly asking for a lot of money, right? And I don't know if the Titans are going to give him that. And so if you were John Robinson and you decided, you know what, as much as we love AJ Brown, and I love AJ Brown, I think he, I just, I think he's phenomenal. I think he's a great talent. Um, he does have some injury things early on in his career that worry me. But do you kind of just say, hey, we're not going to end up being able to come to a deal. Let's go ahead and make the trade with the Jets. Let's get there. I believe it's their 10th overall pick. And let's go up and get one of these wide receivers. Then we're going to have another pick. And we're probably going to have a couple other picks and, and ship AJ off to, to New York. Yeah. So, yes, um, this is this is what you get into with these deals is 
Like, guy wants to get paid. He wants a long-term deal. You ask yourself, okay, is the guy worth the money? Personally, I think yes. The second question you ask yourself is, can we find a replacement that's going to be cheaper for right now? And the answer to that is, it's a gamble, but probably, looking at this wide receiver class. So, you ship him out. You don't have to pay him the money. You get to move up. You get a new wide receiver that's going to be cheap. Like, I don't necessarily think it's the worst plan ever. Some of these teams are looking to trade out of these spots too. Looking at it because there's not a quarterback. There's not that generation of quarterback. Teams are usually looking to trade up so they can go get their guy. QB, yeah. Yeah, and it's not there. So like, yeah, I mean, for some of these guys, the way I think they're going to perform, like they're going to be cheap regardless. You're going to get them as, you know, you pay them on the rookie scale. You'll have the ability to uh, to get the fifth year option on them, so you can get them cheap for another year before you really got to pay them. You franchise tag them twice after that, actually control them for seven years, but that is criminal yeah, in my that opinion. That is criminal. Yeah. But um, is that what Burrow's doing right now? What's that? Isn't he like? Isn't he like under uh, the franchise tag for like after? Like, is his rookie deal up? Mm-mm. But then I think they so- franchised him. So they'll they will so this is what they'll be able to do is they'll pick up the fifth year option, um, and I think that's the average of the top five <laughs> highest paid players at your position. Okay. And then they shouldn't the Cincinnati. You never know. They shouldn't play around with him. Well, but you I would tag it, a guy, but you could tag a guy twice, which I think is I, the most criminal thing. Ever. I know that's what I was. I was listening to the radio, sports talk radio this week, and I don't know what got brought up about that. But there was. But like, that's how they were. Yeah. That's how, the, if you're a running back, that's the treatment. This also could be the yeah, first year of the draft, I think, ever that a running back or a tight end is not taking, taken in round. the first round. Yep. Yeah. I think you're right about that one. I, Trey McBride might go, but other than that, I don't know. Yeah. Tight but, um, but moral of the yeah. story with all that is, um, yeah, I think there's a market for it. I think if you if you're adamant about not paying the guy, then that's the the best option. Get I, yourself up in the draft, get a little capital there, get a guy who's cheap for right now that's going to play really well for the next four or five years. I just don't. I honestly, what I'm hearing, just the hearsay, the amount of money that and Debo's in the same situation. Obviously, they have the same agent. I, the money that I'm hearing that they want is like I don't think I just don't think they can pay it. Like it's like ridiculous. <laughs> Well, let's look at what these guys have been getting. We're, we're hearing, is it 20, about 20 million? 22? Yeah, so Devontae but, Adams signed for uh, 28 and a quarter a year. Yeah. Um, and that was the highest wide receiver contract, yes. I believe. Yes. It's $140 million over five years. And, and these guys want to be in that neighborhood. Maybe not that exact number, but they want to get close. It's a lot yeah. of freaking money. It's a lot of money. And again, Where you wrap AJ, up one of these first round guys yeah, and you're yeah, paying them 30 yeah. million over five years yeah. as opposed to 140. And again, I am big AJ Brown fan, but he has had injury issues. He mm-hmm. has had injury issues like since he arrived and not issues that completely take him off the field, but issues that have had him miss game games. And I think, once you have injury issues, you're always going to end up having them, right? You're never going to be 100% mm-hmm. healthy all the time. I mean, they're just going to get more wear and tear. I don't so, know. I, I, I'm interested. I really – I don't think they're going to do anything like that. I don't think. But at the same time, 
it's a business and you can't just sit around and, and, and keep this going. Like you've got to so start making decisions. It's rumored that there was an offer of, you know, 20 million a year, yeah. but he thinks he can get yep. 23 or 25 yep. Yep. on the open market. Yep. Yes, mm. exactly. And I think it might be more than that to tell you. The yeah. Truth. Well, it I might think that, that, that he might be wanting more than that. So it's a lot of money. It's a lot, but I don't know. I, I, I'm a, I'm not even like a business woman. Like, but if I were a GM, I'd be seriously thinking that. I, I seriously think that. I'd take it into consideration. If there was a wide receiver that was ready to go plug and play this season, didn't have to give him, obviously, all the money right now, and then you could still have your 26th pick or whatever and maybe add another one later, I, I just feel like, I don't know, maybe that would be the, the thing to do as hard yeah, as it would be deal. to part with your guy. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a businessman. So I thought I'd pick your brain on that. Man, what a time. What a time. What a time to be a wide receiver. I swear. Thanks, Jacksonville Jaguars, for setting the, <sighs> the trend there. That stupid-ass contract. Which that was, was ridiculous. And overpaid. He does and then not it just reset the whole market. Market. It, just like Ugh. that. And it just went, it went crazy after that. And believe me, I think these guys should get paid. But come on, we got to be realistic. Yep. We gotta be realistic. All right, that does it for this episode of Press Pass. Uh, Joshua, where can they go to find you on social media? Find me on Twitter and Instagram at RIP underscore J-E-P. And you can find me at Kayla Anderson TV. Be doing a lot of draft stuff this week. We've got our draft specials. Of course, our uh, station actually has the draft on it. So if you're in Nashville, tune into News 2 because we will have the draft for you. So it's ABC. It is ABC. Sure. You betcha. Well, Joshua, we will talk again next week. Hopefully, we'll have some good things to talk about with the draft, um, where some of these guys ended up going. Uh, enjoy the week, my friend, and uh, have fun uh, with the rally on Valley. Oh, appreciate it, and you enjoy yourself. Uh, should be a fun draft week, and we'll talk about some outfits next week. Ah, yes, yes, we'll have our top three. Take care, guys. <laughs>